Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The first reading is Psalm 5, which can be found on page 544 of the Pew Bibles. Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my sighing. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I lay my requests before you and wait in expectation. You are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men the Lord abhors. But I, by your great mercy, will come into your house. In reverence will I bow down towards your holy people. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make straight your way before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with destruction. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue they speak deceit. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favour, as with a shield. Then the second reading is on page 1160, and it's from the second book of Corinthians, chapter 4. Verses 13 to 18. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Father, thank you for your written word. And thank you that the same spirit who inspired scripture is working amongst us this evening. We pray that he will speak to us through your word. And then, Lord, give us the grace of obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. As you've turned back to uh, Psalm 5, which I'm looking forward to expounding to you, God willing, uh, uh, can I point out that uh, I hope you've noticed the fact that we are remembering Andrew Rees, who will be leaving us soon to go back to Australia. It's my job to puncture the rumour. The rumour is that Andrew Rees is disappearing back to Australia because he cannot stand the fact that we've won the Ashes, that he really feels he must go back uh, to avoid all the shame. I would point out in his absence that uh, when we first lost the Ashes in the year 1882, 
The batsman at the non-striking end was none other than the great missionary C.T. Studd, who a few years later became one of the great pioneer missionaries of all time. So if we hadn't lost the ashes, who knows what might have happened? The chance of the chappie in Australia was at receiving at the non-striker's end when we just won the Ashes, being a world-famous missionary, I doubt. But nonetheless, I will send that message to Andrew in his absence. Take heart. All is not yet lost. What well, is in the Ashes? Is it, well, well, they play again very soon. Psalm 5. May I uh, remind you, as we look to this psalm, of, of the, the inspiration of God's Spirit to give us the psalm, which I think I've only preached from once before. Not a psalm that sort of stands out as being full of great things, but is. And I, you may have noticed it's been weaving in the service. Uh, we've been, Ben's been weaving it in the service thus far. And I think you'll see how relevant it is. Some years ago, I was at a church where they had a series, a whole series, entitled 316. And every sermon was on a chapter 3 and verse 16 of Scripture in various books. It was rather odd and quirky because actually there were no, in the, in the original, there was no chapter headings, no chapter numbers and no verse numbers. So really it didn't quite work, but there was something about it. There are several 316s, but please don't spend the rest of my sermon thinking them all out. You will remember John 3.16, of course. All remember that one. And then Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom and we here rest here. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching. And it's in the light of that that we turn to a psalm that probably don't know, a psalm that has remarkable echoes. Just look at it now, Psalm 5, verse 2. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. Well, you don't have to know your Bible too well to hear a kind of New Testament echo when Thomas, who couldn't believe, had to be sure that it, he, this Jesus was risen from the dead, when he met him, cried out, my Lord and my God. Great echo, personal, my Lord. Tom, Thomas knew that if he was risen, he must have a personal relationship. But if he's risen, he must be Lord and God. And the psalmist, Psalm David, who was going through lots of testings, we don't know exactly when this psalm was written, but he knew how much he personally needed the king and the God to be his strength. And uh, that's what this psalm will uh, remind us about. It's an interesting psalm because we are preaching it in the evening. It is, of course, a morning psalm, verse 3. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. The last time I stood in this pulpit, I was trying to persuade you all to become twicers, I seem to remember. And uh, it's very interesting. Here's an evening psalm. We'll be remembering that uh, this is a psalm for the morning. In the morning, O oh Lord, you hear my voice. This is not just a reminder that we do meet morning and evening. It's great to see so many people who do make a, a good day of it on Sunday. It's not legalistically necessary, but it's a great joy to give ourselves time on the Lord's day. But this picture of the morning in verse 3 is not just to do with Sunday. It's that whole issue of finding time early in the day to meet with him. I know most of us are busy people. And the challenge of rising early to open up the Word. I seem to remember way back in theological college days. As you get to my age, you start reminiscing. It's an awful bore, really, but I'll be very brief. And when you reminisce, when you go back to all this, I remember at theological college, the great debate as to whether in the morning you should open the Scripture first or the newspaper first. Now, there's the debate. You can debate it. You could argue you open the paper first because that will remind you of... Uh, the real problems of society, and will lead into prayer. I remember expounding it beautifully until somebody said, 
It's all right you talking, Philip. The only bit of the paper you read is a sports page. I'm not quite sure how you will uh, get any help for your quiet time in the sports page. Uh, So for most of us, let's turn to prayer first and then to the Word of God. But this psalm reminds us that we must face two ways. We must face the Lord and we must face the Word. And we shall be looking at how these two blend in these few minutes together before we come to communion. And again, just reminding you of Scripture being inspired by God. As I look at this chapter and I think about facing these two ways, I go immediately to another bit of the Old Testament, where in Joshua, when Joshua has just got across Jordan, he's facing the Promised Land, and in front of me he sees Jericho. Impossible. The battlements, the fortress. How on earth can you face that? And then if you read Joshua chapter 5, Suddenly there appears the angel of the Lord. And Joshua says, are you for us or for them? And the angel of the Lord of hosts says, neither. I'm your Lord. Now the expert commentators would say that was probably a pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Trinity. The angel of the Lord, a very special person. Be that as it may, if you accept that, you can have that lovely picture Joshua was facing Jericho, but he faced Jesus. And I want to say to you, I don't know what Jericho you're facing. This is August. Everybody thinks of holidays and excitement, but work lies ahead. Many of us are facing all kinds of Jerichos, things that seem in the way to be impossible. Don't duck them. Don't be naive to pretend they're not there. It's good to read the paper in the morning to find out the problems of our world watch the telly to remind us but equally we turn to the word of God to know that we needn't be frightened of Jericho for Jesus is there face the world face the Lord let me take those two points briefly face the world first of all trust God's justice that's verses four to six trust that God is just is just David with the many problems he was facing probably being chased by King Saul And he was aware of his enemies. It was important for him to be reminded that God was the God of justice. That he could trust him. That he would do justly. But just a moment. If I believe in the God of a God of justice, is that comfortable? For example, there you see in verse 4, simply he says, You God, you can't take pleasure in evil. You can't allow the wicked to dwell with you. That's a negative. But even more. Verses 5 to 6. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate, you destroy. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men the Lord abhors. And later on he'll talk about, uh, in verses 9 to 10, the kind of people he's thinking of, not least because of the way they speak, misrepresenting him, being untruthful. But you see, David, you're not perfect. David knew only too well his imperfection. And yet, you see, he did ultimately trust the justice of God. Now, we who live in New Testament days can do it even more. We don't just trust in the mercy of God. We can trust in the justice of God. If we confess our sins, remember we often say it in church, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Not loving and kind, though he is that. He's faithful and just. How can a God of wrath be faithful and just and forgive? Oh, because we celebrated at communion. 
One day his wrath was poured out upon his own beloved son who took the punishment upon himself and God now can forgive us and still be just because his wrath has been poured out upon his own beloved son. So I can trust God's justice. Do you remember, well, some of you, it's not long ago, those who are not quite my age, but getting all a bit. Do you remember the days? Did you have speech days? Did you at school have to go into speech days? I've, we, had to go, we had a very, a very solemn headmaster. Oddly enough, he used to live in Crimica Lane. My great joy when I came here to find that my headmaster, I was frightened to death of many years ago, lived once upon a time at Crimica Lane. It brought him down somehow to, to, to my size. Number eight, Crimica Lane. If anybody lives there now, you live in a very hallowed house. Well, I, this headmaster, always every speech day, used to uh, read a psalm. How many headmasters nowadays at speech days read psalms? And he always read Psalm 130 with his pince-nez specs on. And we, he read them very solemnly. And uh, if I remember the authorised verse, I think I can just about remember it. If thou, Lord, will be extreme to do what is done amiss, who may abide it? But there is mercy with thee, therefore thou art to be feared. I always remember, whenever he, about, about, if thou, Lord, will be extreme to mark what is done amiss, he would look around the whole boys assembled before him, and he could think of all the things that have been done amiss. But I remember, the Lord is to be feared, he is to be loved, he is to be obeyed. He is a God of justice, and because he's a God of justice, I can trust him. What a great thing. Trust God's justice. Second, as I face the world, I expect God's judgments there in verse 9 and 10. I don't know what you make of verses 9 and 10. What you make about uh, saying, declare them guilty, O God. Yes, this is Old Testament. But it's taking very seriously their sins. We don't ju- jump over it because we live in the New Testament with the great promise of forgiveness. Oh, yes. I remember that Stephen, when he was being martyred, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But what the psalmist here is saying is that they must be judged. Why? End of verse 10, for they have rebelled against you. Not judge them because of what they've done to me. David was fleeing for his life. He could very well have said, look how they've hated me, but they've rebelled against you. And there is that inevitable wrath of God. We do expect God's judgments. We live in a world where as we face it and we look at the mess it's in, will it ever be put right? Is there any hope? Well, one day there is a a putting right. And evil will not finally triumph. There is a judgment day. There is a judgment seat. And this communion service reminds us that we all should fear that apart from the grace of God. But he's dealt with our need. Expect God's judgments. Trust God's justice. And it's as we face the world and see that kind of world and see it in Christian light. It is good, I think. I do try still to have a morning, quiet time. I know life is busy and it's easy to get it pushed out of the way. But I do normally read the paper first. Yes, I read the back page and see how Sheffield went have gone on. But I, I do go a bit further than that. And I read the, the, the newspaper And I think of the world where I'm going to pray about. And as as we are thinking of that world we are facing today, how does the Lord deal with it? Joshua looked at Jericho and he saw the angel 
he saw Jesus. As I think of the world, I want now to face the Lord. I therefore make time each day, not just on Sunday, once or twice, but each day, to face him. Three simple thoughts, see if I can leave them with you. Verses 1 to 3, the upward look. And then we have the onward walk and the inward work. The upward look, verses 1 to 3. I love that bit in verse 1. Listen to my sighs, says David. There are times when we find it hard to put into words what bothers us. Sometimes you almost want to hold the newspaper out to the Lord and say, please read it. I I don't know what to say. What do do I say? I just sigh. But then you see in verse 2, he does begin to put words to his prayer. And you'll notice in verse 3, in the morning I lay my requests before you. That's actually a sacrificial word. That's the word used in the Old Testament for offering a, a sacrifice. When last did your time of prayer become a sacrifice? When did it actually hurt because it meant giving time that you'd rather do on something else? There is a sense in which always I might expect that if I want to keep that upward look, it won't always be easy. I don't jump out of bed every morning and say, marvellous, time of prayer. Very rarely. But I I go there. And I make that time a sacrifice, if you like. The upward look. Then secondly, in verses 7 to 8, the onward walk. There's this picture of uh, the psalmist, David, talking about worship, going into God's house in verse 7. But much more than that is the whole of his life, he's walking with him. And if you think, if he could do it, with all the limited knowledge he has, how much more can we? We can look back at the story of Christ's resurrection. We who would know the joy of wonderful Christian fellowship. Look at verse 8. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness. Make straight your way before me. I don't know whether you used to sing, any of you used to sing in choirs when you used to have anthems. Do you remember anthems? All sorts of things are dying out, aren't they? The anthem. Well, the anthem, one of the anthems used to sing, Lead us, Lord, lead me in thy righteousness. I could sing it to you, but I won't. You're quite happy. But it's a a lovely old anthem. But it's it's even more, it's a... Have you noticed it? Look at verse 8. Lead me in your righteousness, because of my enemies, make straight your way before me. You see, the enemies are there, all right. They're my enemies. But I want your righteousness, and I want to be led in your righteousness. I want to make, you, you to make straight out your way before me. You're in charge, Lord, in front of my enemies, the onward walk. Read. Read Psalm 23 someday with new eyes. Psalm 23, the psalm everybody wants for weddings and funerals. It's a pretty solemn psalm psalm in many ways. The enemy are there when, when David writes, The Lord is my shepherd. He's aware of the enemies he faces. And so the onward walk, yes, there always will be enemies, Jerichos. But he is with us. The, inward, the onward walk, the upward look, and finally in verses 11 and 12, The inward work. We've had these verses quoted already around this service. It's a lovely picture of rejoicing, being ever singing for joy, being glad. With this lovely picture of God spreading his protection over us, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. The whole picture here is being encompassed around 
with God's love. I wonder if David, when he wrote this psalm, I wonder if in heaven we'll get a chance to ask David all these questions. Lots of questions. But I wonder whether David, when he wrote this psalm about being surrounded by the Lord's love and mercy, was thinking about the fact that he more than once was in a place where he was surrounded by King Saul. There's one dramatic chapter where he's going one way and Saul's army are going the other way and they're chasing each other around around this mountain. He was conscious that the enemy was surrounding him. But here he reminds himself that he's protected by God's love and mercy. And he is work that produces in him joy and hope. I don't know what your Jerichos are, but I guess there are things that are just on your mind at the moment. Things you wish would go away. It might be physical illness. It might be family problems. It might just be the agony of caring about the world in which we live that goes, it seems, from bad to worse. And you watch what's going on in Egypt and Syria and so on, places people have been on holiday and realize the awful mess we're in in our world, the possibility of desperate things happening. Well, these are the kind of Jerichos. They're real. Don't be naive. Face the world. But thank God that we are protected by a, as by a shield and that he works within us to give us always time for joy, the inward work, God working in us. As we come to communion, and we remember the justice of God poured out, the wrath of God poured out on Jesus, the sense that we can have his joy is tremendous. But as I finish, I want to turn you to the New Testament reading, which I asked for very specially, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I've lost the page number, but you'll find it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 18. Here we have this sort of the New Testament fulfillment. Here is Scripture speaking to Scripture. Here is uh, the Apostle Paul writing with tough times. He, like David, had all kinds of enemies, always being pursued, finding Christians who let him down badly. So he writes these words, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Just note them. Though outwardly we are wasting away, Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So don't lose heart. Now, whatever age you are, unless you're very, very, very young, you you know, you are beginning now the downward path to getting old. I mean, that's the reality of life. And so we are all outwardly wasting away. But I trust you are inwardly being renewed day by day. That's the promise. That's the great hope. And then you get the secret of it all. Here's a secret in verse 17. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, face the world, face the Lord, which is bigger, which are the things that really grab you. You see, the troubles are light. They're momentary. They'll come and go. But the glory that we promise, the hope we have in Christ, to which this service points till he comes, the great day of our Lord's return and the wonder of heaven, is both heavy, you see that? Opposite to light, it far outweighs them all, and it's eternal. One is light and momentary, the other is heavy and eternal. So comes the promise of verse 18, the great paradox. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen. Will you please never just let the paradox pass you by? How do you fix your eyes on what is uh, 
unseen. Uh, don't fix your eyes on what is seen, but on what is unseen. How can you fix your eyes on what's unseen? I think you get the message, don't you? That what the Apostle Paul is saying, please make sure that the real focus of our life and our hope is not the temporary things that pass away, the things that we can see, but that which is eternal, which we cannot see, but we hope and we look forward to. And we have all those who have gone before to help us. I will into a secret. Uh, it's a personal secret, if I may. Uh, this sermon uh, was until a few weeks ago I saw it my last sermon from this pulpit and then uh, blow me the vicar of Fullwood uh, disappearing on holiday to France decided to ask me to preach uh, two sermons at the end of the year after the mammoth carol service is over uh, Sunday evenings December 22nd and 29th bringing the B team while we're all recovering from all the and I couldn't say no I couldn't say no so I sort of build up to, to, to making this a sort of a, a significant end of, but for better or for worse, probably not just yet. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you, we never know, we never know. It was the famous Richard Baxter, uh, a great Puritan preacher, who said, and I've got it on my wall in our bedroom, uh, that preach as never sure to preach again, preach the dying man to dying men. So I'm trying to do that tonight. Preachers never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men. But if this had been my last sermon from this pulpit, I would have said this, so I said in any case, you can ponder all these truths, uh, I would have pointed out that uh, you don't always see this, but here, here it says, when you get this pulpit, sir, we would see Jesus. Every preacher when he comes here is reminded that's what it's all about. For those who are real uh, diehards, the pulpit used to be over there but it still had sir we would see Jesus on it and for I don't know how many 40 odd years more, more I've uh, tried to help people to see Jesus well forget all that but do remember that it's as we actually do see Jesus we see him in the, in the communion service we're not just having bread and wine we see the one who died for us as we see Jesus there as we see Jesus in scripture we go forward with renewed joy and vision. For this is the great assurance that uh, things are, troubles are temporary. They're momentary. Glory is forever and it's, it's the reality. May we in the world which is so bogged down by the seen which often seems impossible to take a bit of the unseen world into our seen world, a bit of eternity into a world of great need and then we go out from this service and this communion to live and work to his praise and glory to walk with Jesus uh, day by day we face the facts with great faith and great courage let me pray and then we'll sing Father do help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus we thank you that he is the beginning and end of our faith. We thank you that he went the way of the cross. He, he satisfied the demands of your wrath and your righteousness. And because of that, we can come not just gladly to communion. We can face the future with all its uncertainties, with this certainty. We can face the world with its needs, with the Lord who is ever with us. And so we pray that 
strengthened by your Spirit, and with eyes fixed on Jesus, we may ever live and work to your praise and glory. In Jesus' name.